Well, this morning we're sort of starting a new series and sort of jumping back into a really old one, um, but we'll be looking at the book of Acts this morning, and so we're um, in a way picking up where we left off uh, like almost three years ago when from when we left Acts, so we're going to come back and we're going to finish it, but we're also picking up just where we left off last week. Right, because last week we celebrated Easter and the resurrection and how the resurrection changed everything. From the moment Jesus rose from the dead, everything was different. He was vindicated and confirmed as the Son of God who came to earth and conquered sin and death by dying on the cross in our place so that we could have salvation and eternal life. Furthermore, the resurrection also showed that Jesus' mission wasn't over. Every other religious leader, every other revolutionary ran out of time. At some point, they passed away and their influence was essentially over, at least as they were living. Um, And Jesus did too. He also died just like all of them did. The difference is Jesus came back. His ministry and his work continue. The mission isn't over because Jesus didn't stay dead. And in a way, Acts is recounting of the continued mission of Jesus, right? Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, um, and he wrote them to someone named Theophilus. We don't really know who that is, but that's who he's writing them to. You'll see it at the beginning of both of those books. Um, But Luke tells us he wrote Luke to record all that Jesus began to do and teach. So we can say he wrote Acts to show all that Jesus continued to do and to teach. And so today... Um, We're going to do something a little different than what we normally do, but we're going to actually recap and catch up from where we left off um, a while ago. So this sermon's a little different. We're going to be actually going over just 18 chapters um, of the book of Acts this morning. So um, buckle your seatbelts. We're going to be running through. But as we go through, I want you to listen for a few themes as we go through. Some I'll point out along the way, um, but some you'll have to pick up on your own. Um, The first is the one we just talked about. The mission of Jesus continues. Nothing stops God's plan. Not death, not persecution, not imprisonment, not religious leaders, not government leaders, not fearful followers. None of those things stop the mission of God from moving forward. So listen for the obstacles that will need to be overcome as we go through. Also, I want you to look for how God uses unlikely people to accomplish his mission. He doesn't always use the obvious choice, and you'll see that throughout. Um, That's good news for us, by the way, that God doesn't just use the obvious choice or the best leader, that he uses anybody and everybody to accomplish his mission. It's going to be better than last week, but I'm still not quite there. This tickle in my throat will not go away, and I think everybody kind of in Austin is experiencing very similar things right now, but we'll make it through. And then lastly, um, one of the other big things of the book of Acts, which is what we're actually talking about um, for the theme, is the gospel is for everyone. It isn't just for the Jews. It isn't just for those living in a certain area. It's for all, all over the world, to the ends of the earth. And so we will see this in the outline for the book of Acts. And this outline that we're going to use this morning actually comes from uh, what I think is the outline of the whole book anyway. It's from chapter 1, verse 8. This is Jesus giving them um, their final instructions. And he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
And so we're going to look at it in those spaces, in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's kind of how we're going to see it develop in the book of Acts. And so we'll look at how the mission of Jesus continued to take the gospel into those areas. Um, If you want to follow along, we're starting in chapter 1. It's page 966 in the Bible that's in front of you, or you can turn in your Bible. Um, We're going to go through all 18 chapters, so you'll be flipping um, through if you want to follow along and see that. I'll reference anything that is is important, and so just know we're going to go through it and see what we have. But first, before we can get to what's actually happening, we have to set the stage in chapters 1 and 2. And this is where we see the church beginning to emerge. And so we see this in a couple of big events. Um, one is the ascension of Jesus. After the resurrection, Jesus promises in his final instructions to the disciples that his Holy Spirit will come on them um, after he ascends to heaven. So this would be a whole new way that the Spirit would work in and through people. Previously, and if you read the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would inhabit one person at a time for a particular purpose in a particular place for a particular thing, right? So if you read Old Testament stories of David or Samson or whoever it is, it'll be the Spirit came on them for a specific task or purpose. After this moment, the Holy Spirit will work in a completely different way. The Holy Spirit will be inhabiting individual people all the time is another dramatic shift in how God relates to people. And so Jesus ascends to heaven. He tells them to wait, right? Wait here until the Holy Spirit comes. And so they do that. And we see that happen um, at Pentecost in chapter 2. The disciples were all together and there was a great wind. And the house they were all they were in was filled with this great wind. And when you hear that, you may not remember this, but this is the same thing that happens in the Old Testament when they build the tabernacle as it's filled with God's presence by a great rushing wind and the same thing in the temple. And so we're here when the Holy Spirit is coming again, when God's presence is coming again, we hear this rushing wind signifying that these people are the new temple, that the temple is now us and the Holy Spirit will live in us instead of a building. And so they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in languages that they didn't know. And as they went out speaking, everyone else also heard them in their own language. Now, I kind of take this as and connect it back to um, Babel in the Old Testament, where everybody's together, and he confuses their languages, and they all get afraid, and they all spread out away from each other. Now, God is using all of these different languages to bring people together and to say the message of the gospel is open for everyone. And then Peter gives a long sermon um, tying the Old Testament prophecies to Jesus and how he is the prophet from the line of David that they have been waiting for. At the end of this sermon, um, a lot of people say, well, what do we do? How do we respond to this? And he tells them to repent and be baptized. And so that's how the church begins in this moment. Um, And Acts, as we're going through, is divided into sections, I think, according to the spread of the gospel. And one of the ways we know that is from the beginning where it says, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The other way is, at the end of each of these sections, there's a summary verse kind of telling you what happened in that. 
And so we're going to look, and if you look at your outline in the bulletin, um, it gives you the verses for the sections. The last couple of verses of each section is the summary. Um, so that's why those are there. And for us here, it's Acts 2, 42 through 47. And it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now this is the beginning of the church. The ground has been laid. The Spirit has come on people in a new way. The message of the good news of Jesus is open and available to all people, not just the Jews, even though it's, we'll see it'll take a while to accomplish that. So these two chapters set the foundation for everything that comes after, both in the book of Acts and for us. We are the continuation of what's happening in these two chapters of the gospel going out to the ends of the world. So we see a new experience of the Holy Spirit. We see a renewed mission for all people to enter the kingdom. And we see the forming of a new community that serves God and each other. So we're setting the stage in these first two chapters. So in the next section, we're going to be looking at what happens in Jerusalem. And this is chapters 3 through 6. In this section, Peter and John are the main characters. And we'll see kind of this cycle repeated in these chapters. Um, we'll reference them briefly. But they'll heal someone or they'll preach and teach the gospel. Then they'll be arrested. They'll be talked to by the leaders. Sometimes they'll be punished and then they'll be released. And so we see this a few times in these chapters. So one of them is they heal a lame man, then they preach a sermon about what was happening and how they could heal him and what Jesus was doing, then they get arrested, they go before the high priests and the elders and the scribes, and then they say this in chapter 4, um, verses 8 through 12, they're talking about kind of how they could heal him. And it says, then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are ex being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And so we see Peter saying clearly, this miracle happened because of Jesus. It wasn't me, it wasn't my power, it wasn't John, it wasn't anything we did. It was Jesus who healed this man. So we see a continuation of Jesus' mission. He is still working. And he, since this, we just covered this, right? We he see him again, reference Jesus as the rejected and restored cornerstone, which we just saw in Psalm 118 just a couple of weeks ago. And then he makes a bold and somewhat exclusive claim, right? There's only one name, there's only one way that gets you into heaven, and that name is 
Jesus. And so the leaders are surprised at the way he is talking to them because from their perspective, these are uneducated and untrained men. And what they mean is, not that they didn't have any training, but they weren't formally trained. But they were trained by Jesus. And so we see God here using untrained people to further his mission. Unlikely choices. And so they get arrested um, later. But like happens several times in the book of Acts, they get freed by an angel of the Lord. And so he says, hey, you're free. Go out and preach again. And so they do that. Then the officials arrest them. They debate about what's going to happen. And then this guy named Gamaliel, who's in the council, basically tells them, look, you need to be really careful what you do here because if, if, if it's, if it, die, if, if you, it will die out if it's not from God. And if it is from God, you won't be able to stop them and you will be working against what God is doing. So you need to be real careful what they choose to do. And so they had them just flogged a little bit um, and then sent them out and told them not to preach anymore. Um, interesting, this is always interesting to me. The response of Peter and John in this moment and the disciples who went through this, the response was this. They were rejoicing that they were considered worthy of suffering for Jesus. Right? And that response always strikes me when it says they rejoiced that they were considered worthy of suffering. Like, hey, I'm, Jesus considers me good enough, faithful enough, strong enough in my faith that he knows that I can endure suffering. Right? A different reaction than most of us have when we encounter hard times or things like that. So the church was moving forward, but it wasn't all perfect. In chapter 6, we see a conflict Right, some widows weren't being taken care of. They were being left out of the food distribution. And so the church together takes a step in caring for the people by appointing um, these, some, some men to make sure that these widows were taken care of. I would call these the first deacons um, because they are meeting a specific need in the church. Um, you can argue with me about that if you want. That's totally fine. But that's what I see here in that moment. So the church comes together to solve this problem to care for one another. And then in 6-7, we get the summary of this section. It says, So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. So the message is spreading, but we see from these verses it's staying in Jerusalem. So they need to spread out to accomplish God's mission of going past that to an ever-expanding circle, and eventually to the ends of the, wor- the earth. Um, but the disciples, at this point, don't seem very motivated to venture, to venture out. And so, into this mix, God will create a catalyst, something that is going to force them to... That was good. Force them to spread out. And so we see this in the next section as they go into Judea and Samaria. This is chapter 6 through 9. And this section has three main characters. Stephen in chapter 6 and 7, Philip in chapter 8, and then Saul in chapter 9. And in these three men, we will see how the gospel is going to be pushed out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. So it starts with Stephen 
He is one of the men chosen to serve the widows in, in early in chapter 6. He gets accused of blasphemy, and he gets arrested, and he gives a long speech outlining the history of Israel and how Jesus was the fulfillment of Abraham and Moses. Um, the religious rulers weren't big fans of the speech, um, especially where he explains that not only did they kill Jesus, um, but they also killed all the prophets who told you about him along the way. And so as a result, they get a little upset, they don't like what he says, and they end up stoning him. So Stephen, even in this moment, cries out for their good of don't hold this sin against them, right? Even in that moment. And we get a small aside if you read it straight through. It just gives us these verses that a young man named Saul was there watching Stephen be killed and watching everybody's coats. We learn at the beginning of chapter um, 8 that he becomes a persecutor of those following the way or believers in Christ, arresting them and putting them in prison. And then, after Stephen's death, everyone scatters. We see this at the beginning of chapter 8. It says, On that day a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. And so we see them pushing out into the next area. And this happens mainly through Philip in chapter 8. We see Philip preaching in Samaria. We see people respond to the gospel. Um, word gets out that people are being saved. They are becoming believers in Christ. And so the apostles um, send Peter and John to confirm that that's what, hap what is happening. And they do. And when they arrive, the Holy Spirit comes on the believers, just like in the places it has already spread. And so next we see Philip with an Ethiopian official, um, he's riding in his chariot. He's trying to understand um, a passage from Isaiah. Um, Philip explains, hey, this is about Jesus. And the Ethiopian responds to that and says, oh, it makes sense now. And he calls Philip to baptize him in some water on the way. And so through this, we see the expanding mission from Samaria to eventually Ethiopia. This guy is going to take it there. And so we see the mission beginning to expand. And then we get to Saul, who you may know as Paul. He didn't get a name change quite yet um, in chapter 9. Um, but we come back to him, who he has been persecuting and threatening believers um, of Jesus. And as he was traveling on the road to Damascus, a bright light flashes around him, and a voice asks, Why are you persecuting me? And eventually the voice identifies himself as Jesus and tells Saul to go into the city and wait for him. So Saul can't see. He doesn't know what's going on. Um, God sends a man named Ananias um, with some hesitation. He's not super excited about going to hang out with Saul um, as a believer in Christ because he's like, do you know that he's rounding up Christians and sending them to jail and you want me to just go visit him? Um, he's, but he does it. He visits Saul. He helps him regain his sight. And he tells him, um, that Saul will be sent to take the gospel to the Gentiles into an ever-expanding circle. And so Saul is converted, and he begins preaching immediately. He tries to meet with the disciples in Jerusalem, but they're all afraid of him, and they don't want to have anything to do with him, at least not yet at this point. But a man named Barnabas hears what's happening, and he talks with Saul and walks with him and explains to the apostles that he really has been changed. 
And so we come to the end of chapter 9 and we get our next summary verse. It says this, So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, Galilee, and Samaria, they wanted me to put an extra A on there just to make it all sound the same. Right? Those three places had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. And so now we get the second level of the gospel going out in Judea and Samaria. And so where we turn next after this is that the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. And essentially from this point on, in chapter 10 through the end of the book of Acts, it shows how the gospel continues to expand further and further and further out to the ends of the earth. So we've seen the gospel is expanding, the message of Jesus is getting out, but still mainly to Jews. Even in those areas, they go to the Jews first and Kind of if some Gentiles hear it, that's okay, but they're not going out to them. But this is where it begins to change. In chapter 10, we find Cornelius, who is a centurion. He had a vision to go find Simon or Peter. Um, and the next day, Peter has a vision. Um, for Peter, the, his vision is a big sheet appears and all these animals come on it and it drops down to the bottom and the voice says, kill and eat. Peter's like, well, I can't eat half of the stuff on there because it's in the... Mosaic law, it tells me I can't eat certain things. And it does it three times, kind of telling him, you should, you can eat whatever you want. And so the vision is telling him that these ceremonial laws no longer apply. And as he's trying to figure out what that means, he, the men sent from Cornelius show up at his door, um, explaining their side of the story. And so he goes and he teaches them the truth of the gospel, and the Holy Spirit comes on them. Um, this began to cause a stir among the church and among the religious leaders, especially those in Jerusalem, because now Gentiles were getting saved and they weren't quite sure how they felt about that. Um, and so eventually, it tells us, those scattered by the persecution of Stephen end up in Antioch, and then Barnabas goes there and brings along Saul. And they stay there in Antioch for about a year, teaching and the gospel to people, and it also tells us that Antioch is where the disciples were first called Christians. And so from the way forward, Antioch is going to kind of be the center, um, and they're going to be sending out, kind of like a missions agency of sending out missionaries to different places. In addition to that, at this point, there is a prediction of famine, and so the church in Antioch took up a collection and send it out with Saul and Barnabas to deliver it, which is going to make sense once we read the next summary um, in twelve twenty-four through 25. And it says this, But the word of God spread and multiplied, and after they had completed their relief mission, that's taking the collection to the people who needed it, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was called Mark. And so we're kind of moving out, but not with much pace. But next we see Paul and Barnabas. And this is what we see. We're in chapter 13 now. I know we covered a whole lot real fast. Um, but in chapter 13, it says this. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, this is the people in Antioch, um, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. And so from this point, we see Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas now, um, going on these missionary journeys to plant churches, to spread the gospel, to further out 
places. And they begin to continue to travel and to preach, um, which results in some trouble. There's some persecution. They get run out of some cities. Um, there's an example where they preach in one city. They get run out. They go to the next city. The people from the previous city go to the next city and say, you can't be here either. And it's kind of chasing them around. Um, and, but the gospel continues to spread even in the midst of all of that opposition, all of the persecution that they are experiencing. Um, which is good news that the gospel is being spread, but eventually um, enough people, by that I mean Jewish people, um, get upset about what is going on and that can the gospel actually go to the Gentiles and what do they have to do to actually be believers? Do they have to follow all the rules that we had to follow or they, can they just join and not have to do anything? And so eventually they get everybody to Jerusalem to sort this out, which is Acts chapter 15, is the Jerusalem council. And so basically they sit down and they say, okay, tell us what's happening. And they recount how the gospel is going to the Gentiles. They are being saved. The Holy Spirit is coming on them. They are genuine believers in Christ, just as those who were previously Jews are genuine believers in Christ. And so the question they're trying to answer is, do people believing in Jesus have to become Jews as well? This is the real question they are trying to decide. And this may not seem relevant to you, but this actually affects your life right now because you didn't have to become a Jew um, to also become a believer in Christ. So this actually benefits us, I think, long term. And so they come together, they come to this conclusion, and here's what, and they decide, these are the things that you can't do. If you're a Gentile and you become a believer in Christ, in order to um, associate with and have communion and community with Jewish people who have all of these ceremonial laws, some of which they stopped doing, some they continued to do. Um, they said, don't do these things. Don't eat food offered to idols. Don't eat blood or anything that was strangled and avoid sexual immorality. And so that's the list. Those are the things they said, as long as you don't do these things, we're all good and we can do that. And so they send out the letter and the gospel continues to spread after this moment. So at the, at the beginning of chapter 16, we get our next summary. This is actually the last one um, that we're going to cover today. But it says, The churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. And so we see the gospel continuing to spread. We see the number of people responding to the gospel continue to grow. And then we see Paul continue on his missionary journeys um, this time with Timothy, there was a little bit of falling out between him and Barnabas over a guy named John Mark, um, who you can read about if you want. Basically, John Mark left on the previous journey, and Paul was like, I'm not taking him again this time. And Barnabas was like, it's okay, he'll go with us the whole time. And Paul says, no, I'm not doing that. So Barnabas and John Mark go on their way, and Paul takes Timothy, and they go on their way. Um, as they're going, they get a vision of a man from Macedonia calling for help, and so Paul and Timothy go towards in that direction to preach the gospel. Um, a couple of significant things on this missionary journey is they run into a girl who had a spirit who, who could help people prophesy, um, and some people became in charge of her, I guess is a nice way to say that, um, and they were basically making money off of her. Um, Paul casts out the demon or the spirit out of the girl, and she can no longer do that. Um, the people get a little upset because um, their livelihood, their money-making machine is now no longer working. 
And so they get arrested and put in jail. Um, there's, as a result of that, when they're in jail, there's an earthquake. All the chains fall off. All the gates come open. Um, the jailer shows up. He sees the gates open, and he just assumes everybody is gone, and he's going to be in big trouble. But Paul says, hey, don't worry. We're all still in here. We're just waiting. So eventually he talks to the jailer. The jailer is so shocked that he goes home with Paul to his family. Paul shares the gospel with them, and they all become saved as a result of this situation. Then they continue. He gets to Athens. Um, he, he, Paul kind of sees the city, and this is one of his most famous um, sermons that he gives. He says, hey, he starts, it starts with, hey, I can see that you guys are a religious people. Um, you even have an altar to an unknown God. Right? One God that you don't know yet. And Paul kind of says, hey, this God that you don't know, this one that is bigger and greater than all the gods that you already know, I know who it is. And it's the God of the scriptures. And he came in Jesus to die for you. And so he continues to spread the gospel. And so as we go through, um, we continue to see Paul do that. He continues on his journey. We see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. And so where we're going to pick it up next week is in towards the end of chapter 18, um, where Paul is on this missionary journey reaching out to people. And so I know that was a really quick, really fast recap um, of the book of Acts, but I hope that's helpful as we come next week so we can know, hey, this is what's happening. We've seen all of these stages happen. It's from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, and we're seeing Paul go out with the gospel, and he's on this missionary journey. And so as we wrap everything up this morning, um, I think just kind of re remind you of just a few takeaways of listening to this story um, and the way that we heard it. One is the message of the gospel will go out. It will continue to be shared. It will continue to be spread. Um, it will not be stopped. There are persecutions, there's people getting arrested, there's people thrown in jail, there's people being flogged, um, there's people being stoned, there's all kinds of things happening in the book of Acts trying to prevent the gospel message from moving forward, but it doesn't stop it. It doesn't slow it down, it actually propels it further out in the, the plan of God. Another takeaway is God will use anyone to further his mission. Right? We have the untrained men, the untrained disciples in Peter and John. We have Saul, right, who was literally murdering Christians. And God says, you know, I think that's the guy I want to use to take the gospel further out, right, to change him, to renew him, to completely overtake what he's doing in his life. Right? And so if God can use Paul, he can use you. No matter where you're at, no matter what's going on, no matter how your health is or your age is or how busy you are or your life situation or whatever it is, right? God can use you to spread the gospel, to be a part of his mission. The other thing we see a lot in the book of Acts is when the gospel collides with people and their worldview, there is disruption and conflict. Right? You can't keep doing everything you were doing before just the way you were doing it after you encounter the gospel. When it takes over your life, right? in some of these cases when people were relieved of demons and spirits, their lives were changed. When the way that they're doing things is, is, is threatened, they begin to get upset. 
right? But the gospel continues even with opposition, no matter what comes of it, but the gospel will change you. If you give yourself over to it, if you live by it, if you seek to follow Jesus, things will change in your life and possibly in those around you. Right, but we, I think we still see that today, right? The gospel message colliding with the world around us and what people think and how people think we should behave and act and talk to each other and all of these things. We're still seeing this today. But it's our call to be faithful to the gospel, to be faithful to the message of Jesus and be those who continue to take the good news of Jesus and his resurrection to the ends of the earth. Will you guys pray with me this morning? Um, God, we come before you, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the message that you give us in Scripture, of this, just the message of, of your, your ministry, your mission, your influence, your power in the world didn't end right at the cross and when they buried you in the tomb, but you came back to life. You were resurrected right? You were made alive. And so because of that, you continue to work. You continue to move both in your influence and through the Spirit in us. And so God, as we kind of think of the book of Acts and how the gospel message spread from a small group of people in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth and now even to us 2,000 years later on the other side of the world and all the things that had to happen to make that happen, to put us here this morning. We thank you that you continue to work. We pray that you will continue to work in us, that will use us to spread your message of hope and of salvation and of love to others so we can continue to see the gospel spread to the ends of the earth, whether that's across the street to our neighbors or across the cubicle to our coworkers or across the nation or across the world that your name is the only name by which we can be saved and let us proclaim it to all people until you return. It's in your name we pray. Amen.